supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Welcome to No Pointers. We're your hosts, Gerald, Stephen, and Mark. And today we are going to talk about WebAssembly. So today we are going to talk about WebAssembly, uh, running that sweet, sweet C-sharp code in your browser. No need for JavaScript anymore. JavaScript is dead, buried. We don't need it anymore. C-sharp is the future, and that's all there is going to be. Um, so, but before we're going to talk about that, let's talk about our other passion. Well, two passions. Let's go talking about two passions. Uh, right now, when you're listening to this, you have still some time to do your open source contribution for Hacktober. Um, and there has been a little fuzz about Hacktober, isn't no, it? No, 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 Gerald, 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 I, I must stop you here. Will this be another one of just mocking me about open source? Well, it's good of you to bring that up, Mark. Have you done a contribution yet or four? Sorry, you, you just are very mumbled right now. Can you? Did no, you I've, I've... do a contribution <laughs> yet? <laughs> um, well, I, I've got them on the to-do list. Does that count? Is it going to get checked off in October? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? So the thing that I'm talking about, so because I think October 1st, basically um, a lot of people started, well, one on the one hand, they started opening PRs like a madman. Um, and on the other hand, people started complaining, the maintainers, like I'm getting spammed by all kinds of PR. So the way Hacktober worked until now is um, that you had to open four PRs. You just had to open PRs. It, they didn't need to get merged. It could be on any repository on GitHub um, unless they were reported. Like there, I think past year, um, we discovered a couple of repositories because it can be your own repositories and just open PRs on that basically. Um, so you can report those and they will be excluded. But other than that, all the repositories on GitHub would be opted in automatically. Um, so, you know, for the bigger repositories like, I don't know, ASP.NET, uh, Node.js, whatever you name them, they would get like a ton of PR requests that they um, didn't really ask for, uh, which, which meant that they had to do a lot of extra work, uh, either by declining them or, well, merging them. But I think that if it's of that kind of quality that they could merge him, then they would be complaining. So there would be a lot of PRs with just adding a one word to the readme file, which is not really ideal. So um, because of there was some, um, yeah, pushback on that, um, the uh, people behind Hacktoberfest changed it a little bit. And now you have to opt in to, um, uh, with your repository to the Hacktoberfest um, initiative. And um, yeah, so some rules change. And one of the things that I'm really wondering about is because now there is some kind of um, maturing period, I think they call it, uh, for your PR to either be invalid or, or be valid. Um, but I think it takes like 14 days now before it becomes mature. So that means by the time that you're hearing this, um, you can't make it up to 14 days anymore. So I'm curious how they're going to solve that because... Um, actually, what is happening then, if, if that is like uh, the thing, then it, it has to be called half Hectoberfest. I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do it, but I assume the 14 days of November are allowed for maturing, I would say. 
Oh, yeah, so sounds that, legit. Right, 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 right. So they have to be opened like before October 31st, but they can still mature into November. Right, right, right. That makes perfect sense. And stupid that I did not think of that. Well, that's why we're here. Sure. Yes, thank you. That's my weird team. So and the other thing, I've rambled on for long enough. Um, I'm just going to go here and, and let you go, Mark, um, on the open source contribution. So the other thing, tomorrow... We're we're recording this on a Monday, and tomorrow is going to be the Apple event. So are we looking forward to all the stuff we don't need but going to buy anyway? Well, actually, Mark, I saw that you dropped your phone. Yeah, I'm I'm preparing. I'm I'm getting ready for this event. Yeah, it's, I I had to. So it happened this weekend. I tried to put the phone into the trousers and somehow missed. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to say there was some substance making this happen but it was in the morning so there's like no excuse so i just think subconsciously my brain wants to tell me my it's okay to now buy a new iphone so it it was the lack of substance named coffee Uh, that could be that could be perhaps Perhaps. the jittery hands I, i yeah no i but to be honest the iphone survived the fault just perfectly so it's still running like before but I, I had to smile because the event is just around the corner. And uh, yeah, I think next time I'll get some pro tips from you, Stephen, how to do this thing properly, the dropping of stuff. Yeah, I, I am a pro at that, but I'm, I'm actually not going to be buying anything that's probably announced tomorrow. I mean, we're, we're all agreeing across the internet that there's a phone coming, obviously. I don't know if there's anything else coming, to be honest, but I don't need a new phone, so... I'm one of those guys who does multiple years with the same iPhone. What? Mind blown. What? That's Mind crazy. Blown. That's crazy. Uh, and Mark, <laughs> if you're going to get a new one, that basically doubles your numbers, right? So you would be going from an iPhone 6 to 12. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about that, that's uh, mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Yeah, I, I think the new phone should be coming. I mean, we all thought they would be coming in September and that event passed and we got some new iPads, uh, I've heard. Uh, but no no iPhones. But there are some rumors that they also will be showing some new gadget stuff. I think some NFC tag-like thingy. AirTags? And, hmm? I think they, they're calling, well, the rumors are calling it AirTags. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Exactly, the AirTags. And the MagSafe should have a comeback in some ways. It's not the, the MagSafe used to be the charging cable for MacBooks. Uh, which was Miglat, which you could snap in with a magnet, and that was way too safe because no laptops anymore hit the ground. So one replaced it with a USB-C plug, which now you can rip again your laptop while tripping over your charging cable. That's progress, I guess. So the MagSafe will not come back to the Max. The rumors have it, but it should be some kind of a charging case mechanism for your mobile devices. Well, I guess... The only thing that is left to be done is wait until tomorrow evening and check it out and see if there is some cool new things that we never intended to buy, but suddenly have to buy. And by the time you're hearing this, that already happened. And, you know, you might be already holding your new phone in your hand listening to us. So who knows what might happen? Um, Talking about what might happen, (laughs) um, WebAssembly. What is it, Mark? What What is this thing all about? Well, you said it so nicely and eloquently in the intro, Gerald. It's running your C-sharp code in the browser. 
or more generally, it's running native code in the browser. So this is not only applied to C Sharp, but you can also run your uh, C++, uh, I think your Java and many other programming languages uh, like Rust. Um, I, I don't have a, a complete list in front of me, but many languages you can now actually compile into native code and then you, you can have it executed in the browser. So just like Silverlight or maybe even Flash, but those had to have a plugin installed in the browser. And with this WebAssembly, it's actually really supported in your browser. So Chrome, of course, supports it. Edge naturally supports it. Firefox, of course. And yes, even Safari, even the Safari on your mobile phone actually supports WebAssembly. So that's really cool. So you can write your web code in another language than JavaScript. And I fully agree with your statement at the beginning there, Gerald. I will be shipping here my grave, I think, if we have any JavaScript fans. And I'm sure you're very happy with it. But for the Lord, I cannot program JavaScript. <laughs> or, yeah, I, I, I get myself really easily into troubles with it. Anyhow, um, so that's WebAssembly in a gist. Stephen, what are your thoughts on WebAssembly? My thoughts on WebAssembly is that I have almost not at all prepared myself uh, for this because I, I've heard all the, like, everyone going on about it being very awesome and very cool, um, but I just haven't had the time to look into it. It's, to to me, basically what you've said so far, that's almost exactly what I know about it. And I was hoping you were going to name Internet Explorer 7 or something like that, just for, <laughs> for the fun of it. Um, but no, it's... Uh, it's definitely not something that I'm very into, but I have heard and, and seen others talk about it uh, up to a certain extent. So this this whole WebAssembly, how does this tie into Blazor? What's their, their deal? I know it's connected in a way, but tell me. Well, Stephen, that's, that's interesting. I think you must be the only person I know that is not yet on the Blazor hype train. Um, but I think it might be for the better, so you can you can maybe ground me during this during this show. Um, so Blazor is the implementation for C Sharp uh, to write WebAssembly code. So the name comes a bit from Razor Pages, um, which is how you can write your HTML uh, with some C Sharp mixins. So if you're an ASP.NET developer, I'm sure I don't have to explain to you what. Razor pages are, but it's basically a templating engine. How you can do this? Um, these this I know is, about. These you know about. Well, then you're 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 literally already there, Stephen. Oh, you just have to okay. change one or two things there, sprinkle a bit of Blazor awesomeness over it, and yeah, you got your WebAssembly page. I think that's actually why it's so um, appealing to to C sharp developers because you don't really have to now learn. Uh, many many new concepts you can you can use the tool set that you already know and love with razor pages and you get the code will no longer have to be rendered solely on the server but you can have now the option to let it run on the client side so i was actually listening to another podcast which was actually in dutch so i could link it but it's probably not of much use but they were talking about blazer and i i kind of agreed with that like you know it has felt like some kind of side project for microsoft for a while but 
Um, I think they they released it at some as some kind of experimental thing at first too, um, but by now um, you know it's I think it's turning into a real professional product and um, yeah it's it's like you said Mark like you can go a couple of ways about this like um, at the very core you can just write your C sharp and um, distribute it that way but you can also write the code that um, actually runs on the client and yeah write your single page application without one bit of javascript so that is um really cool again yeah i mean we love the javascript people out there and you should definitely choose whatever you uh what makes you happy but um what makes us happy is um c sharp and nothing beyond that Uh, a little bit of f sharp maybe is there f sharp support for this mark yeah there actually is there is a project called bolero and uh there you can use f sharp and WebAssembly. I heard it's a bit cutting edge at the moment, but uh, if Blazor really takes off and this entire WebAssembly thing, um, I think, yeah, it might be interesting to have a peek if you're interested into functional programming and want to uh, also apply functional programming to your web front-end applications. That's really cool. So, And I, I think I'm not entirely up to date on how it went down exactly but um i think this the whole idea kind of so this was actually like kind of like the uh, story of asp.net i think the story for that mark you know these things the story for that was the the whole concept of asp.net was thought up by like Scott Guthrie and Scott Hanselman at the time or something. And they were flying together in a plane and they were drafting up like, hey, shouldn't we put this and that together? And boom, suddenly they invented like ASP.NET. And I think this was kind of like similar. Like uh, this started as a talk by um, Steve Sanderson at NDC Oslo 2017. And yeah, how did that go? Do, Do you have any idea? Well, unfortunately, I was not there in person. That's and uh, yeah, but so uh, rumor has it, or, or the story goes something like this, that Steve Sanderson, uh, who has been working in the ASP.NET MVC space for quite some time, and he also wrote, so to speak, the book that got me onboarded into ASP.NET. Um, he gave a talk, and there he showed how you could run C Sharp in the browser. And it was it was very experimental there. I think he took like some micro .NET framework, which was no longer really maintained by the person, but it gave him enough functionality to write this concept that you could have C Sharp running in the browser. And I just remember people that actually were there uh, mentioning David Fowler, who's also a member of the ASP.NET team. Uh, that reaction must have just been priceless. I think he just uh, was there with an open mouth and just, yeah, people were just blown away by that presentation. And I think it was that simple idea that you could use something different than JavaScript and and like a language like C Sharp, which uh, has a lot of fans uh, in the world, to actually write your entire website using it. And also having the... Um, benefits that you have from a SPA, a single-page application uh, written in JavaScript. I mean, those those websites, those front-ends, they start to get larger and larger these days. And yeah, sometimes we you, you can just uh, sort of start scraping at the bounds of how JavaScript enables you to write larger applications, or it just gets uh, quite complex and you really have to know what you're doing. And C-sharp just brings there uh, a lot more structure into your projects and 
that's what's really appealing from my end. So the thing that you just mentioned, like, is um, that reminds me of like, you know, whenever you do like a node application and then you immediately think about all the dependencies, so it's download ha downloading half, half of the internet to um, as dependencies into your project. So, but I mean, here you're going to send like actual compiled DLLs and things, right? And even like the runtime, right? So this these applications must be huge too. Yeah, they are. They're a bit beefy. Um, if you compare it to a standard JavaScript uh, website, they are on the larger end uh, today. But that's also why the team is doing so a lot of work in. Or that's why a lot of work is still happening around Blazor. So you can let Blazor run like in two modes. You got the server side Blazor that's currently out uh, in production or since, since quite a while. And what server-side Blazor allows you to do is you write your entire uh, website and stuff in C-sharp, and it will generate for you the website, and it's rendered on the server. That's why it's called server-side Blazor. And the the nice thing is, so if you write your UI and you've got like a, a counter value that updates or, or a clock or something like that, or just something that's happening on the back end, they use uh, WebSockets or SignalR to then update your website uh, from the server. So once the site is rendered, it will generate the JavaScript needed to, to perform those updates or those bindings, as uh, we have already discussed in the uh, MVVM uh, episode of our podcast. And that's really, really nice. And that's also, uh, if you have perhaps dabbled or experimented with uh, uh, Xarin forms in the web, you might have seen that there is a framework called We by Frank Kruger. And that is based on a very, very similar concept. So that's that's really cool. And with that approach, you have you your impact of the, the data that has to be transferred is actually quite small. If you look at the client side blazer, that's when you send over entire DLLs uh, and stuff like that. And this is also where you got different modes. So you can have it compiled beforehand and you can also have it let's let it run in interpreted mode. So you can have a C sharp interpreter running in your browser. And at the last time I checked, I think the interpreted version was actually a bit smaller, uh, but not quite as performance efficient. And uh, that's that's currently where a lot of focus is on Blazor to, to bring that package sign down. Another interesting side note, by the way, is a lot of, uh, like that code that's running in the browser that's actually run on Mono. So this um, being able to run, or being able to have a very, very small .NET runtime is actually one part where Mono excels. And this is also the reason why Microsoft uses Mono to power Blazor on your browser. Right, and so that those well, problems, I'll call them problems for now, will go away whenever we get our hands on .NET 5, right? Because then it will just be one um, one runtime. At least you won't notice a difference on what is being used. So, um, and so when do you have like scenarios where you would use the server side and when you would use the client side? When, when would you choose what? Because as the way I hear it, it can basically do the same thing, but it's just switching the compute power from your server to the client? Yeah, I think you you have the answer 
sort of in your in your question there, Gerald. I think one reason why you would want to go client side is because you want the computation to happen on the client side. So you can actually have uh, like your Blazor app running on like a static website, like only on storage spaces, and you don't no longer have to pay uh, for computer power on on the server side you only have to have a a simple file share somewhere where people can download the initial pages and the resources and they're good to go and then you could have a azure like a serverless architecture azure functions in the back end to then do the compute like very event driven very uh, sleek and slim and and only uh, pay on demand stuff if on the other hand the what some people might be concerned is that when you use the client side model, you transfer all your code over to the client. So they could pick up those DLLs, they could um, disassemble them, they could see how the code runs, they could uh, steal your code, or they could try to attack your backend infrastructure with the information that they've gained. And for for people that are a bit more security conscious, they, they might say, well, um, I, I'll take the server side model. On the server-side model, I think one of the downsides is the, that it uses Signal R for the communication. So this is always an active connection between your website and your server. So that means if if you if whenever you do those updates, so that's possible, you always have an active connection, and those connections they're limited. So if you got a site that is really heav- heavily frequented. Um, this could be an issue. So this could be like your bottleneck where then you have to have a signal R services uh, that scales up to just uh, provide that information to your website. So I think in at the end of the day, the, the question is a bit um, what kind of website that you're running and uh, yeah, how much compute power you need uh, to, to, to render these things. And those factors will then play in into which mode you would want to choose from. To me, this all sounds very interesting. As someone who hasn't hasn't really experimented with it, I mean, I've I've dabbled in ASP.NET MVC with Razor. Um, I actually am building something in that right now, uh, not recording during recording, but you get the idea. Um, so the whole server side plays are just to to tag back a bit to that. The only difference with how it used to be is just the signal R part and the partial update bits. Is that the, the main difference here? I think from a developer's perspective, yes. At least as far as, as, as I have used it so far, it's it's quite straightforward um, to, to get that up and running. And also the switch over to the client site blazer. It's not that you will notice that during development or, or uh, when you're doing it. Um, sorry, you, you will actually notice it during development because the debugging experience is a bit different, but it's to to have it compile to server side or to client side blazer is just like flipping a switch so there's there's no real difference for you in in the deployment side or there shouldn't be let's say cool. like that and this is all you don't need to learn anything new right because this is all like based on what we mentioned earlier the little bit of history this is all based on existing ASP.NET thing. So Razor Pages is just a thing that you, if you've worked with this, a thing you know already, um, writing your C-sharp code, um, styling some things in HTML, CSS, 
this is all stuff we know, right? I mean, there's probably by now some stuff added uh, specific to Blazor, and you might have to uh, think a little bit about what you're sending over the line to your clients or not. Um, but other than that, it should be pretty easy to get started with this, right? Yeah, I think that should be the basic idea that you can take away from here is that it's if you have done some ASP.NET MVC developments in the past, I think you will be quite quickly at home when using Blazor. And since you just mentioned it before, Gerald, the JavaScript and CSS, that also still comes into play. So in the end, uh, the, the WebAssembly parts will can only be invoked from JavaScript. So what the Blazor binding gives you is like a, a little wrap around it. So it will still generate the HTML and the JavaScript that is required to interact from HTML back to the WebAssembly, like the DLL parts. And if you have a your favorite JavaScript library out there that you just can't miss, or you there is no alternative written in C-sharp for, for that yet, um, you can use uh, JavaScript bindings uh, to also interact with uh, other JavaScript libraries. So there is no boundary. So it's not like if you go down the Blazor path, uh, you can no longer use any JavaScript libraries that you might already be using uh, on your site today. Yeah, so I, I just popped open my Visual Studio. And even though you, you mentioned earlier that it at times it it has been experimental, but it's it's now a full-fledged template and all in, in my Visual Studio. So that's... Very cool to see. So a little bit back to the hosting. So yeah, I, I, I'm just going to keep going in circles. I just mentioned it. It's it's just an ASP.NET site. So is there any difference in like hosting like the server mode and the client mode? Because if I think back into the early days, uh, like also with ASP.NET and also PHP, so that's really like the, the server thing, right? That's um, basically in interpreting your... Um, your code and and building a website out of that. Um, and that is kind of like what's happening here now again. Um, so is there any difference in, in the, how do, what do we need to, to host these applications? And is there any difference with like the server mode and the client mode? Well, it, I think it depends a bit on what kind of app you want to build. I mean, if you, if we look at the classic, I'm making air quotes here, model from hosting a server, usually you always have some backend logic running. So you have your uh, C-sharp controllers, your your database interactions, all that. And you would normally choose to run that on some uh, web service worker mode uh, that you can rent in all, all major clouds. The new hotness that's been a bit around is this uh, serverless stuff because usually you have to pay a lot less there to have logic run uh, in the cloud, which is and it automatically scales and it's event driven and it's what the cool kids really like to do and it also is something that can make sense uh, in a business because you end up paying less money and stuff like that can be really appealing. But the the downside there is a bit, where do you host your front end? Because you usually don't want to call a, a function to then give you back some HTML and stuff like that. So what you end up doing is you write a single page application and you could you can write that in all the big uh, web frameworks, uh, Angular, React, Vue, and all the others. 
and you could then pack that front end bit and put it on a file share or just like on a storage service. So it's a bit like a statically generated uh, website, uh, same as our podcasting website. And the user can then just navigate to that storage space and it will just interact like a normal website. But the clue then being that the business logic in the JavaScript could then invoke those uh, those serverless parts that you have in the back end. And then you could uh, still, you know, like buy your tickets and then it would invoke some action on the database and and and. And now with uh, Blazor, I think that's since summer or sometime, they now actually also enable this for, for your Blazor website. So you can now upload your your Blazor code onto uh, an Azure storage and then uh, have it run from there. And that just means, again, it's it's a lot cheaper to host it this way, but it also means that you will no longer have your backend written in ASP.NET. You'll then have it written in Azure Functions, for example. Really cool. Very, very cool. So, but if we go back to our roots, uh, and this is like the strategy that Microsoft is choosing more and more now, right? So like you can write C Sharp and, and host all the things on Azure and write C Sharp from end to end. So whatever you're running on your client up all the way up until uh, your backend that is uh, in the cloud and that you're connecting with. And because of that, uh, they also are, which is still experimental, I think. It's kind of like in the same category, um, like it started out experimental, but it's gaining more and more traction. And I think a lot of people are getting excited for this is the Blazor mobile bindings, um, which I think just means that you can um, apply those same Blazor things, um, concepts, uh, writing Razor pages, things, um, and 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 use that to create your Xamarin apps or your .NET MAUI apps, right? Yeah, so... That's basically how you could write your mobile apps uh, in the future using Blazor syntax. So there is there are like two ways how you can do this. Uh, I think there's there was just recently a blog post about this, like the hybrid approach. So if you choose to write a mobile app using the Blazor style, you would end up writing a Razor-esque way uh, UI template, but using the um, view elements that you know from Xamarin. So you would have your your stack layout and your grids and stuff like that. So so the names would no longer be the HTML diffs and whatnots that you would then use to structure UI, but you would be using the structures that are uh, present in Xamarin Forms slash Maui, .NET Maui. And going forward what they what they do with this hybrid view is you can actually mix and match so you could have a part from your view written in this native style so it will be the native controls uh, and everything just uh, with a different way how you can describe your ui and you can then also still use a classical razor page uh sorry blazer page um with which will then be rendered in a web ui on your mobile app and what's really cool is you can actually even share the state between those. So there is, a, I think in the blog, there is this sample of a counter. So you can count up on the, with a native button and also in the web service, and they will share the counter state. Which, yeah, that uh, really blew my mind. I saw that early on. So what basically happens is your Blazor code automatically connects with the native 
app code that's already running in, in Xamarin forms right now. Um, and it, it can just share those same variable values and it will just connect automatically without you doing anything special. Um, so you can really easily make some kind of hybrid approach with that right there. And that's that's really cool. So I, I, I must agree, Joel, that was really cool. Do you think you will be anytime soon switching over to writing your mobile apps in Blazor? Can I use it already today? That is a really good question. Um, actually, let me let me bounce that question back. Um, so did, did the blog post, say, I mean, I know of the concept and to be very honest, I have played with it a little bit. I know what it does, um, but I don't really see like any um, direct advantages besides not having to write JavaScript anymore. Um, although JavaScript is, you know, it, it's there and... Um, it's kind of forgiving for your errors, which is basically something good and bad at the same time. Um, so, but you know, it's just something that it, it feels still a little bit heavy or something to write all of this in, in C sharp. Although I, I know in the end it's going to have the same output basically. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's probably just a thing to just, uh, get started with it and, um, discover the power that way, but. Um, yeah, I'm mostly creating, um, you know, apps and stuff that have to do with apps. So uh, not not really into this stuff right now. And yeah, for for the app stuff, I think it's kind of like the same thing that I just need to get started with it at some point. I didn't really look into it. It it really blows my mind that everything like this is possible. And um, so basically, what they're doing is wrapping Xamarin Forms now in another layer of, um, yeah, so the name says it, like the, the Blazor mobile bindings. Um, and it's really cool that it's just possible, but I think it will have like, you're either gonna go write everything in, in that Blazor syntax and do it that way with your app, uh, or you're going to have some pretty specific um, use case where you're going to use that hybrid form. I mean, it's pretty awesome stuff that you can do it, but I don't really see the actual value in doing it that way besides you know coming from asp.net um knowing about that stuff and so that's that's part of i think why those other um app frameworks are very popular right so the react native and that kind of stuff because a lot of people know javascript a lot of people are web developers and they want to also create a web app but not render just a web page so it's very easy for them to convert with the knowledge they have about javascript and all the libraries there um, to to transfer that to creating a mobile app so um, i think the the main value for um, the Blazor mobile bindings is in that, right? So a lot of ASP.NET developers um, will come in, hopefully, um, writing mobile apps now too that, that convert into something um, native maybe as well. Um, and they can apply all that knowledge to write a um, mobile app with that. Or am I missing some very obvious um, business case that, that I just don't see? I think you described that really nicely there, Gerald. I mean, the only thing that still comes uh, to mind from my end is sometimes uh, you have like a really nice web UI already written and you just reuse that in your mobile app. So I, I've done that in the past where you then just like take the HTML and JavaScript and CSS and then you just have that page where you got some parts of it are web views that then render those page segments because yeah, they just are 
already perfectly designed to to look great on mobile. And I think with this hybrid approach, we'll get exactly that. So this opens up like opportunities to share code between your your web your web sites and if you then go also still for a native app because you need some features that you cannot get uh, in in the in a browser experience uh, you can then still reuse some of that uh, logic shared and it's really easily done and you can also even share the state between that web view and the native code which is in the past has always been a bit tricky to do or it's not like so straightforward and and i really like that and i think the other thing that you also already mentioned is having the opportunity to choose uh, the approach that you are most familiar with so you no longer have to learn a new paradigm and a new programming language and a new uh, ui syntax to write a mobile app which can be a bit off-putting if you come from a from a web backend side so me personally i'm perfectly familiar with the XAML approach uh, that is being used mainly when developing mobile apps using C Sharp. But if I would be a web developer, I think uh, having this opportunity to write my mobile apps and this will be running natively and I'll get all the benefits, but not having to learn that new style, well, that could be quite appealing, I think. Where was this six years ago? When I needed it. <laughs> so for me, it's it's just interesting to know that I can soon call myself a front-end developer without ever touching react so that's a that's a bonus <laughs> and all the people coming after you on linkedin because you are now a front-end developer full yeah. stack well, at that point. full stack full stack full stack yeah. full pancake <laughs> stack yeah so but that gets me thinking like why aren't we doing the other way around so if i want to apply all my cool xaml knowledge on the web why can't oh wait we did that with silverlight and that got killed so it's one more year i think of silverlight one more year one more year one more yeah year. well i mean in theory we mentioned this in our last show on maui.net maui the the renderers are there so if you really want to i guess you could have a peek at how frank did it with we and then port that thing over and have it run for xaml in the web again i mean it, it could be gold light yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and I think th that's the other thing that I don't really have uh, experience with, but I think Uno is doing this as well, right? Yeah. I think Uno, they, they took this, this idea already, and you can already today write XAML code in the browser using Uno, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't tried it out personally, I must admit. I think that that they basically take like the uh, yeah the paradigm that Xamarin Forms is doing as well, but they've taken it a step further uh, in in some way. I don't I don't really know how it works exactly, but uh, um, I think they because I think they also like forked and are using um, pieces of of Xamarin Forms, so uh, they also have like the renders and and render that natively to also I think web applications and. Um, UWP and, and a whole lot of platforms and they're doing really cool stuff as well but maybe we should do an episode on that so we dig into you know a little bit and uh, see what that's all about sounds interesting I'm intrigued good good well on that cliffhanger I think we've wrapped up most of our knowledge at least on uh, WebAssembly so um, if you have any more knowledge about it or maybe you have some questions that we can find out for you um, and we'd love to hear like what are your thoughts about WebAssembly on Blazor and especially like you know I personally have like the feeling that um, it it's very cool technology but it's not something that I've seen like very much applied in 
big business cases yet. I don't know what the reason is, but we're curious to hear your thoughts on that. So um, be sure to let us know on Twitter at nullpointers.io. And uh, we have been your hosts, Gerald Verslaus. Steven Davison. And Mark Halliburton. Please don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And until next week on Null Pointers. Mm-hmm.